The 64th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Basketball aficionado Josh, that would be me, and Anthony back with you guys tonight to recap Carolina's 70-50 to win over App State in the Smith Center. The win improves Carolina to 9-3 and overall. They finished a non-conference season 8-3 and because, of course, they got that lone conference win over Georgia Tech earlier this month. Carolina will have another ACC game in December when they come back from Christmas. That will be Wednesday, December 29th against Virginia Tech. The nine wins for Carolina entering Christmas break, those are the most for the team program since 2017 18. Um, of course, Carolina went on that year to be a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. And during the process, Carolina improved to 7-0 and against App State and 7-0 and at home. Buddy, we said entering the game that, I mean, winning was important, but it was more about the way Carolina looked in the way that they won the ball game. And it wasn't I'm not going to say it was the prettiest performance, especially the first six to eight minutes or so of this game. But when the Carolina was in this same spot before Thanksgiving, they didn't look great against UNC Asheville. I think Carolina looked a lot better in this go around of needing a bounce back game after, uh, you know, a pretty bad performance inning entering was going to be another eight day layoff for the team and route to a relatively comfortable 20 point win. Yeah, no, this was a much better performance um, against a team that is much better than the team that they played on that night. Um, don't let the record get it wrong for App State. This is still a team that, you know, made the NCAA tournament last year. They weren't great early in the season, but rallied and and, and played well when they needed to. And, of course, as many probably saw the other night against Duke, they played extremely well for about 30 minutes of that game before Duke eventually took over and ran away from them. Um, so, yeah, this this had the, the chance to be uh, one of those sleepy games for sure. And, you know, the environment definitely wasn't phenomenal. Um, it filled in as the game went along, but 
heading into opening tip, it was a very sparse crowd. So uh, it, it, it could have been easy for Carolina to, uh, you know, come out and, and start extremely slow. They didn't start great, but they were able to rebound, um, you know, a- after the first couple of minutes and, and, and really found their footing uh, to be able to pull away. And, you know, I, I think that second half really shows you what you want to see from Carolina. I mean, they, they, that, that was the best that they've probably defended all year in terms of just the, the sheer effort multiple times, guys late in shot clock having to throw up uh, just crazy shots. And, you know, one of the things against UNC Asheville to draw the comparison to that game, remember that that game really wasn't even a great defensive effort from Carolina. It was, it was better than what you had seen, but really UNC Asheville just missed a lot of shots. In this game, that was not the case. The reason that App State missed a lot of shots was because they were contested. They weren't open looks that they were just missing. So, yeah, you got to commend them. This is one of those games that could have been really easy to come out and sort of let, um, e- even if you didn't lose the game, almost let the, let, let the Kentucky game beat you twice and turn this into a close affair um, that went down to the end and, and had people sort of questioning you again. It could have been a performance very similar to you know what you saw early in the season against Brown and, and just allowed a team to go off. But they really rebounded, and uh, yeah, you have to like that the way they played in this game. It was I, I said going in, get right game, and uh, this this was uh, about as as good as you could hope for um, outside of that that slow start uh, to begin the first half. Let's take a look at the box score. Carolina was powered by the double-doubles of Armando Baycott, 16 points, 10 rebounds. That now makes eight double-doubles in 12 games this season. And Brady Manick got his first career double-double as a Tar Heel with 11 points and 11 rebounds. Carolina did put four players in double-figure scoring. They shot 47% from the field, 29 of 62 on their field goal attempts. App State just 31%. 20 of 64, three-point percentage. Carolina bounced back in a big way after shooting 25% combined in their last three games. Um, they, they were 7 of 16 tonight for 44%, led by Caleb Love, who made two of them. And Kerwin Walton, a guy we'll talk about a little bit later, was also two of three. Carolina's three-point defense was maybe the best it's been all year. They had the mountain, they held the Mountaineers to just four of 30 from behind the three-point line. That averages out to 13%. Not a lot of foul shots in this game. Five of nine for Carolina, six of seven for App State. Here was kind of the first big uh, or one of the one of the downsides from tonight's performance. Carolina, 15 turnovers. App State, 11 turnovers, which App State scored 13 points off of those miscues. The biggest issue with Carolina, I don't think, was the number of turnovers. I've always said that magic number is 12, but six from Caleb Love. He had a five, he had five assists tonight, but he actually had a negative assist to turnover ratio because he had six turnovers. Then you add in Brady Manick, your most experienced player on the team, he had four turnovers. So this was something that, for as well as Carolina played, this game could have been a lot more of a blowout, and it could have been a much more cleaner offensive performance had Carolina protected the ball much better tonight. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you just t- you just said it right there. I mean, one-third of your turnovers came from uh, two guys that played, 
you know, 25 minutes or more in this game. So these are veteran guys that are playing a lot of minutes for you, and they're the ones that are making mistakes. That's what's most frustrating. Um, Because outside of that, I I thought everybody else did a relatively good job of taking care of the basketball. Um, This might be the first time all season that Dawson Garcia has not turned the ball over in a game. Um, And I'm not even joking on that one. Um, And outside of that, the only other person that had double-digit turnovers was Armando Baycott. Now, the good news is is that this doesn't appear to be a nightly thing. This isn't like, oh, well, this is the third of the last four games that Caleb Love has just turned it over at an unbelievably high rate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 frustrating because you felt like this was a team in, in App State that was you know good defensively, but not great. And and I think you know part of it was that you look at some of the low numbers that they were able to hold some of those Division two teams to. That's where you looked at it and thought they were a great defensive team, um, or they they ranked as a great defensive team. Um, but in this game, I mean, look, they did a good job of. of creating turnovers. I think, you know, just there, there were a couple of times where there were just some mistakes that were avoidable for sure. Um, you know, and there were other ones that were offensive fouls that led to turnovers, everything like that. So I, I, I think that, you know, it's not something to be concerned about long-term because I think that especially with what we've seen the last couple of years, the start to the season that Carolina has had in terms of turnovers has been much better, but it's definitely something that is noteworthy on a night like this. But for the most part, I mean, that's really the only thing I could look at and and say was a real negative. I thought just about everything else Carolina did a pretty good job of. We're taking a look at the box score on to the rebounding totals. And before I give you those, let's provide some context. Carolina against Kentucky got out rebounded 44 to 26. That 18 uh, rebound margin was just the third time in the last 32 seasons that Carolina has given has been out rebounded by 18 or more. And to take it one step further, just the fifth time in the last 52 seasons. They've been out-rebounded by 18 or more. That stat was provided by Jody Zoigner, the Carolina basketball statistician, on tonight's pregame show. So we entered the game uh, needing to see Carolina bounce back against a smaller opponent. There, should have been, there shouldn't have been a lot of issues, and there wasn't. Carolina, 47-233 rebounding advantage. They had 33 defensive rebounds, 14 offensive rebounds, led by Manic and Baycott have both had double-digit rebounding totals. They got 14 second-chance points off of those um, offensive rebounds. And I mentioned this entering the Kentucky game, which it didn't really follow up. Carolina hasn't been potent on the offensive glass, but it seems like whenever they need to go to the offensive glass to get their offense, they've at least possessed the ability – to do so. And look, you look at the, the box score and look, they shot 47% from the field and they shot 44% from three, but they needed offensive rebounds to help generate some of their off their offense in the half court. And I think that's going to be the most telling thing. They We know they're not going to prioritize offensive rebounding the way Roy Williams did. 
and that's fine, especially with the skill set and the lack of depth. You really can't afford to send everybody to the offensive glass, but you got to have the ability to go get offensive rebounds when you're not making shots at the regular rate you expect to in the half court and generate second-chance offense. Tonight they did that, and that was a big reason why they were able to get tonight's win. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, – it, you got – you got to hand it to them right out of the gate, too. I mean, they had 26 rebounds in the first half. Mm. That was the total that they had the other night. So, clearly, that was a focus from them to find some improvement there. And, and it shouldn't shock anybody that they had the night that they did. Um, it's just that this this has to be – part of the of the building blocks because there are going to be other teams I mean look right now we pointed it out Duke is the one team that we know has anywhere near the type of rebounding ability that Kentucky possesses and you, you said it when we were previewing that game that was probably going to be one of the best rebounding teams that Carolina faced all year but you do not want that type of performance to pop up during conference play and really you don't want to have performances where you're you know still losing the rebounding battle but even losing it by a couple of rebounds you want to be the team that can dominate the glass and again tonight they showed that um it's a smaller team but this is what you've got to do against these types of teams and to see especially Brady Manick this is the second game in a row against a you know not Kentucky team um where he performed well um that was that was just an articulate point right there I should have said second straight home game um but two of the last three games he has not only rebounded well but he's also done it on the offensive glass so you're seeing a guy that we knew coming in was rather limited as a rebounder like his numbers at Oklahoma told you okay he can rebound the ball but that's not the area where he thrives the most. He's typically going to grab you six, maybe seven rebounds a game. So to see performances like tonight and the other, you know, the other night against Furman really shows that, look, he's more than capable of getting on the glass and doing it on the offensive end as well. So I, I think that there's reasons to be encouraged. Now, look, Dawson Garcia did not have anywhere near the night that you were hoping he would have. He only played 11 minutes. But two points, three rebounds, he didn't have the dominant game that you needed to. But Brady Manick steps up and, you know, plays well for a, a team that really needed it tonight because, you know, without him uh, and, and, and his steady presence in there, this would have been a much closer game. And that's not something that Carolina would have wanted, especially uh, against an opponent that really they probably felt like they did a great job uh, of uh, on all night. Um, on the defensive end of the floor. Making our way through the box score from Carolina's 70-50 to 50 win over App State. Bench points, you give the nod to Carolina, 23-10, to 10, led by Brady Mannix, 11 points, and Kerwin Walt was second off the bench with six points in the paint. Give that to Carolina, 38-28 to 28, as expected. Fast break points, Carolina got out in transition a little bit more tonight than they have in recent weeks, 11-2. to two. Blocks, you got to give the nod to the Mountaineers. They had five blocks compared to Carolina's three. Steals also go to advantage of App State, seven to five. But the last stat that I want to touch on really quick here with you were the assists. Carolina had 
17 assists on 29 made baskets, including 13 of their 16 first-half baskets, as opposed to just allowing eight assists on the 20 made baskets for App State. We're going to focus on Carolina because the last couple games, even if, b- before the offense came to a screeching halt against Kentucky, the ball wasn't moving, mm-hmm. and Carolina was getting its offense and isolations and stuff like that, and look, there's nothing wrong with that because they have they have players that you can isolate and they can get their own offense. And for the most part, it's been rather effective. But when it wasn't effective like it was on Saturday, it was like the offense completely broke down. They had to get back to moving the ball, moving the ball, and moving the defense. And tonight they did that. The very first possession, as a matter of fact, they moved the ball four or five times, got a wide open three, and you got the great result. And App State made them work for it. App State, I thought, did a really good job doubling Carolina, whether it was off of a you know a pick and roll or just sometimes, especially they doubled the post as well. Carolina moved the ball. They moved App State's defenders. They had them scrambling. They got either open shots from the perimeter or they had them unbalancing up where they could drive the lane and get to the basket. And that's going to be the biggest key for this offense. In the half court, you've got guys that can isolate, but when you move the ball, it makes them so much tougher to defend. And that's why this offense, when it's been when it's been functioning at the level that it's been at times this year, it's not because of just great shot making. It's because of it's been because of great ball movement tonight that returned for the Tar Heels. Well, I mean, it's two out of the last three games that you've seen it. I mean, they did a great job of moving the ball against Furman, and then it just completely disappeared in the game against Kentucky. Um, There were way too many isolation shots, Um, really a lot of, of, you know, bad shots late in the shot clock. That looked a lot like the offense that we saw the last two years prior. To this, especially that 2019 half court offense where you just, I mean, pretty much it was bring the ball across half court. Whoever has the ball, you're going to be the one taking the shot. And it's not even really going to leave your hands tonight. Yeah, you, you felt like this was a team that was moving the ball extremely well. Um, and look, I mean, even, you know, some of the turnovers that they had, um, you know, I, I think they came in, 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 in fits. So it, for the most part, I thought they did a pretty good job. They made some tough passes um, that, you know, that normally the last couple of years they probably don't make. So I think you're seeing a team that's starting to pass the ball better. I still think it's a work in progress. And, and, and that was something that was going to be expected because you weren't just going to go from what you were last year and the year before into being this great passing team that doesn't turn the ball over and has, you know, 17 to 20 assists a night. That that just wasn't going to happen. So to see a, a game like this where everybody's sharing the ball, it's not just one guy having a big night. Because against Furman, that was really what it was. You were led by R.J. Davis, who had seven assists in that game. I mean, you're, you like to see Caleb Love with five assists. But to have a big man, Armando Baycott with four, Brady Manick with three, that's what you want to see is that even your big men are moving the basketball well and it's creating some of those good, quick shots that you want from the perimeter, which you didn't get against Kentucky. So, yeah, great job moving the ball all night. Um, Good job by everybody getting involved with ball movement. And that's what you want to see from this team going forward as they go throughout conference play. 
Let's move on to the quote of the game. And we weren't the only ones that took note of uh, Kerwin Walton's performance tonight. Of course, this head coach did as well. And Hubert D- Davis said after the game in his postgame interview with Jones Angel that, uh, quote, I was really happy for him, him meaning Kerwin Walton. It was awesome seeing him hit a couple of threes. I was really happy to see some of his shots go in. He gave life to our team. So that was Schubert Davis on Kerwin Walton's performance, something that we're going to get into a little bit deeper in just a little bit. We look at the stat of the game, um, and this one I thought it was I thought it was pretty evident, and that was the three-point defense from Carolina. Abstey entered – or came into the game um, as a you know relatively shooting in the mid 30s percentile from behind the three point line, but Adrian Delph had the type of capability to come in and put up 30 on you. He scored 39 in a game this year, um, and, and you know you know with these mid majors sometimes they come in and they shoot the lights out. That didn't happen tonight. Carolina held them to four of 30 shooting. Delph just two of 10 from behind the three point line. I thought Carolina closed out maybe the best they have the entire season. I thought they rode rotated really well they communicated and it was a really big part of why they were able to build a lead and sustain the lead because they did not allow perimeter shots as opposed to them shooting an efficient seven of 16 from behind the three-point line which evened out to 44 percent we're going to take a quick break we're going to play you this week's ad from DraftKings. Then we're going to come back. We're going to dive in more into the win over App State and give some more thoughts from the win as we head into an eight-day Christmas break. That's coming up next on the Four Corners Podcast. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you will be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving new customers shots at millions of dollars and total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. Only one per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all of these great offers we've been giving you on the Four Corners podcast and the Heel Tough blog podcast as we now close in on Christmas. Christmas is four days away, so make sure you get over to DraftKings, use those promo codes, and try to get you some extra holiday cash to get that last-minute Christmas item for your significant other or your family. Let's get back into this win over the Mountaineers. and we got to start on the defensive end of the court for Carolina because that was where the most – uh, questions lied for this team when the season started after uh, Connecticut and then after Saturday's debacle against Kentucky in Las Vegas, and they responded in a big way. Um, from, the, from the minute the game started, you could tell that they were energized and they had that desire, that effort, that want to to play defense and play defense at a high level because they did just that. They held App State to 31%, 20 of 64 from the field, as we just talked about, 
only four of 30 from behind the three-point line. They forced 11 turnovers, which was one more than their season average coming into the game. And as opposed to when they beat UNC Asheville a month ago entering Thanksgiving, as you mentioned earlier, that wasn't really like something you could build off of. I know this is a mid-major opponent, but I thought the things Carolina did with their rotations, they def- they you know they changed the way they defended ball screens for the one and four, um, and they handled that very very well. They didn't they didn't hedge as much, and when they did hedge, it was it was only certain players hedging. This was something that I thought Carolina could build off of moving forward, and something that I've been asking for almost well, really my entire life was they threw out a full court press. Did it force a turnover? No, and you know. But it gave App State something different, and now they had to think about that. And it wasn't like it was out of a made basket or out of a made uh, or a missed basket. Carolina just simply went and full court pressed them, and it gave them one more thing to think about. It it changes the way that you have to play offense and dictate offense. And as I complained about during the Kentucky loss, there was no way that Huber Davis could not watch Kentucky press his team and not see the way it impacted his own team. And tonight I thought Carolina tried some different things. They got some good results out of being creative and being willing to make adjustments. And that's all we're asking for on the defensive end of the court. I'm not going to complain as much. I'm still going to complain. But if you are bad defensively, but you're actively trying to do things to become a better defensive team. My biggest issue was the other day was that it didn't seem like Carolina even tried anything. Wasn't the case tonight, and they got results, and now they've got a different way. Now they've they added some different um, adjustments into their defense that they can fall back on with the way they defend the pick and roll. Way you know if, if if they switch ball screens one through four, they got that full court press in there as well. And when you hold a team to thirty one percent, no matter the opponent, and thirteen percent from behind the three point line, that is something that you can feel good on, and you can build and you can build off of as you enter ACC play. Yeah, the the key is that look, this does not erase the performance that they had against Kentucky. I feel like a lot of people think that that's what the mindset is of people that say, well, they had a good performance tonight. No, that, that's not what we're saying. It's just that this team needed to respond, and they did. You can only play the, the opponent that's in front of you. And, I mean, look, this is not the greatest App State team. But if you watch that effort tonight, and said this still isn't a good defensive team or doesn't have the potential to be a good or average defensive team, then I don't really know what to tell you. You're expecting way too much. Tonight was, I I mean, probably their best defensive performance of the season in terms of effort Um, because it was there the entire night. And that's a great response by the team. But very similar to my thoughts with Hubert Davis and the coaching staff, I mean, look, they made the adjustment and threw some different things out at him. My problem is, is that why was that not tried? Why was there not better effort in the second half against Kentucky from the players? Why is that something that can't be done in-game as mm-hmm. opposed to we have to see it on the tape afterwards and then make adjustments. And, and, and that's something for the coaching staff, that's something that's going to come with time. Um, for 
the players, I, that goes back to what I talked about in the recap. You need to have leaders that step up and point out in game, hey, this isn't this 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 isn't going to fly tonight. We're not playing well defensively because our effort's not there. We need to step up. We we need to find a way to put in the effort. And you know, it's it's a learning process for those guys as well. We'll see how it translates over. It was that a wake up call against Kentucky? I mean, most people thought that Tennessee was the wake up call, but that one has to serve as as the biggest one for sure. And and we'll see if tonight can carry over into conference play. And I think it's 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 got a good chance. And I think that tonight maybe showed you that some guys can, can lead by example for you defensively. We know I touched on the rebounding a few minutes a moments ago, and really I provided that that context for what happened in the in the Kentucky game. Um, because what Carolina did on the glass tonight isn't surprising, and they sh- they did what they should have done, which was they they just absolutely obliterated a smaller opponent. But I think this team, whenever they are, it's like it's like with their defense. When they're committed to playing defense, they can be a really good defensive team. When they commit to rebound the ball as a team, and they have to do it as a team, they they have the ability to be the type of rebounding teams that we've seen in the past. They're just doing it in a different manner. But the biggest thing was Brady Manning, and you were talking about it earlier when we were, we were talking about him. He has – proven at times this year to be a much more willing rebounder, more so than what we thought he was going to be or could be entering Oklahoma or coming from Oklahoma because he was roughly about a six-rebound-per-game average guy with this time with the Sooners. When he got here, you know, we we added him to for the three-point shooting, the floor spacing and all that, but Carolina needed someone else to go help him rebound the ball, and he's had some quality rebounding games tonight, and it's like – was what I what I've like seen from him is that against a smaller opponent, he is more I'm not gonna say he's more willing, but he knows how to go use his body, use his size to dominate, get on the glass, but he's getting on the offensive glass for Carolina. And that's the biggest key. Because you know Baycott can and will, and Dawson Garcia can and will, but you also need Manic to go get offensive rebounds, and he's just around the rim, and sometimes he's even the guy that you see tapping the ball back out to, you know, a guard uh, you know, out on the perimeter for an offensive rebound and stuff like that. So Carolina was just more active tonight on the glass, and I thought that was really good to see um, because they, they need to be more active as a team, one through five, on the backboards. Let's talk about R.J. Davis. This was a guy that the last couple games had been too, hasn't been playing too well. Hasn't had to play very well because of Caleb Love's, you know, recent play, Armando Baycott's recent play. Tonight, though, um, he needed to score the ball, and I thought the biggest adjustment that wasn't as noticeable to many as to many Toriel fans most likely was that you saw Caleb Love initially start the game with the ball back in his hands, and I think we're starting to see that R.J. Davis can play with the ball and be effective, but I think he's most effective when he's playing without the ball, moving, working around screens, cutting to the basket, and all that. And the results were there in the proofs in the pudding. 15 points, 7 of 10 from uh, seven of ten from the field, only one three-point attempt tonight. So you really like that. He was being more aggressive, getting downhill um, to get his 15 points in those 34 minutes. 
Armando Baycott is this team's best player. Caleb Love is this team's most important player. But I think R.J. Davis is right there behind him because when he plays well, usually Carolina plays well. And it's kind of like with the front court. Whenever Carolina can get the trio of Brady, Armando, and Dawson to play really well, Carolina is going to be dangerous. We saw it last year, and we've seen it times this year. When Caleb Love and R.J. Davis are playing well simultaneously, it takes this team to another level. And all the dreams and goals and aspirations we have for this team and what the team has for themselves – it comes more alive, and you can see it when Davis is playing at a high level. Yeah, and like you said, that, that there's been points this season where they haven't really needed him to play all that well, but you would like to see it a little more consistently because he's had some really nice games so far this year. But it's it's just something that kind of comes and goes on him offensively. So – I, I think the the capability is there. I think that at times he go he definitely speeds himself up way too much at times. Mm-hmm. It's evident whenever he misses some of these easy lay-ins and everything like that. He's just he's thinking too fast and he's got to settle down because he's a good enough player. He likes to attack the basket. That's where he's at his best. And I think that you know he's. Got to learn to finish through contact a little bit better. That's something that we've talked about, you know, during games and everything. We've pointed that out. But for the most part, I mean, you got to love the mindset that he has. Um, And he's shooting the ball better. He's much more confident this year as a shooter than he was last year. Um, And for the most part, you know, you can't really complain too much about his, his shot selection in the games where he's played well. The problem is, is that in some of the games where he struggled, he's taken some bad shots because he's just trying to force things. So with him, it's just it's a thing of consistency. And, you know, I I think that Caleb Love was, you know, in a similar spot coming into the year, but he's been able to sort of grasp that consistency a little easier with R.J. Davis, it's just something that I think you're going to have to deal with for the remainder of the year. You're going to have games where he's going to play really, really well, and you're going to have stretches where he's going to struggle. Um, you know, you're hoping that you're going to see more of the prior and less of the latter as you get into conference play, and the hope is that he can continue to grow as the season goes along. But, you know, it, it's sort of at this point, he's basically the guard version of what we've seen from – Dawson Garcia at times. There are nights where he looks outstanding and he looks like a guy that you're saying to yourself, man, this is there, there's a reason why he's playing this many minutes, and there's a reason why we feel extremely encouraged about what he can be. And then there's other nights where you're just left kind of scratching your head, wondering where was he and why did he turn the ball over as much as he did? So I still feel like he's a guy that deserves to start for this team. I feel like having him in the backcourt as another guy that can bring the ball up and having him and Caleb Love being interchangeable parts can be a good thing. Um, But you want to see him sort of take command of – to me, I want to see him sort of take command of that point guard role and become that consistent guy that can bring the ball up um, and – just stick to what he does best, which is 
drive the lane. If those shots are there, when Caleb Love is driving the lane and you get some of those kickout looks, that's when you shoot from the perimeter. But do what you do best. Get to the hole, get inside, draw contact or finish at the rim because when you do that, that's when you're at your best. Let's move on to the bench, and this is where we're really going to focus on Kerwin Walton because this has been a guy that has been the talk of, of, of Tar Heel Twitter really since the season started with a lot of hype. And in the last you know month and a half, it's kind of regressed into really looking at his minutes and, and many people being concerned about the potential he was going to transfer. He hadn't scored in his last 50 minutes on the court. He, he uh, ended that scoring drought tonight. Six points, two of five from the field, two of three behind the three-point line, four rebounds in his 16 minutes. Those 16 minutes, all in the second half. He did not see the court once in the first stanza. That changed in the second half. And you saw the Kerwin Walton of old. And the biggest thing that I stressed about him being on the court was for Hebert Davis to put him in the game and in in, – immediately call offensive sets for him. That happened, and what was the, the result? You saw the ball go in the basket. They called that little play where they get that hip pocket screen right there at the top of the elbow. He's kind of just nestled in right behind the screen. He comes around it, buries the open three-pointer, and, and everything looks right in the world. But this got pointed out by a Tar Heel follow on Twitter, this guy uh, by the name of NBA Bo. And it was before that three-pointer that I gushed about, and you heard it while we were talking over the phone. That was a extension of what he did defensively, which was how Hubert Davis said he was going to earn his minutes was he had to compete and be, become a better defender. And tonight you saw Kerwin play harder on the defensive end of the court. He rotated better. His communication was better. He needs to be a part of this team. He needs to be a nightly part of this rotation. He is this team's best shooter, most naturally gifted shooter. And I think, not that Hubert Davis was feeling the pressure to play him, but I think the other night showed that even if you, as much as you don't want to give in to his defensive liabilities, you need him on the court because the other night when Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and Brady Manick were making three-pointers, you look like the team last year before Corwin Walton that you couldn't get perimeter scoring. He gives you that perimeter scoring. It's, it's only going to help you open up the floor. And this is going to be you know, a, a, a building stone for this team defensively and for him offensively. If this season turns around and he ends up having the type of year or similar to the type of year we, we, we thought he could have entering the season, we'll look back to this game as an early Christmas present for Kerwin Walton after his performance. I mean, yeah, th- this was easily his best performance since that College of Charleston game. And it, it, you're right. He definitely looked a lot better defensively. Um, you know, the problem against Kentucky, he probably he wouldn't have been able to help you that much the other night. Not, not with where he was at, even if he had hit a shot, even if he would have been able to give you – anything defensively probably wouldn't have made that much of a difference in that game. But yeah, you're, you're that was the biggest question mark with him. And the biggest reason why he wasn't playing a big role was because last season and then at the early part of this season, he just wasn't getting the job done defensively. And then, you know, as I said, 
we saw, you know, he had the the 0 for 4 game against Michigan. And after that, you know, it was just he, he seemed to lose confidence. He had a shot early in the night or earlier in the night, I should say, um, tonight where I thought he had a good enough look and he passed it up where I felt like he probably would have taken that shot last year. I thought he had enough room and he probably would have been able to make that shot um, with, you know, what he showed once he did start shooting the ball. But that first one going in felt huge because, yeah, that wasn't really that, – that wasn't the easier of the two makes that he had. The second one was definitely the easier of the two makes because he got freed up. Uh, just a great play design to get him open. But, um, I, I mean, to see him knock that down was, was great because, yeah, this is the thing. I don't want people to think that I didn't want him involved. I wasn't saying, look, don't ever play this dude ever again. It was just, it was hard to say he needs more minutes because he simply was not shooting the basketball. Now, you know, yeah, going forward, let's let's see you try to continue to ramp him up. I think at the least, I mean, look, he played 11 minutes tonight. In the next game, you need to match that. If not, try to get over that. And yeah, the the... the Start to conference play as well is not the most grueling. So this could allow you to get off to a, a pretty solid start after, I mean, you got the tough game against Virginia Tech, uh, which is the second game of the full conference slate. But after you get through that, you know, this is this is some of the easier opponents that you'll face in ACC play, even in a down year for the ACC. So it feels like this is a stretch where even though you're going out of non-conference, you have a, a stretch here where a guy like Kerwin Walton can get into a, a little bit of a rhythm. And, yeah, you're, you're just hoping that he can build off of tonight. And it's, it, tonight was truly a roller coaster. I saw people in the first half on social media basically – writing uh, his his admission into the transfer portal for it. And <laughs> within w- within 10 minutes of that, he had two three-pointers, and all of a sudden everything was right in the world. He's staying. He's going to be a big part of this team going forward. It's, it's, it's unbelievable the lengths that people go to in their minds of thinking where guys' minds are at. I mean, look, he went through a tough streak. I don't think that it was anything personal from Huber Davis, but as we saw tonight, you know, if you go out there and and you do what this team needs you to do, you're going to play and, and you're going to play a considerable role. And I think it will only extend going forward, especially in some of these strategic situations where maybe the team is playing rather well defensively and they don't need to use Anthony Harris as much. They need a guy like Kerwin Walton out there on a night where they're not shooting well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a big part, and this kind of is an extension of Kerwin Walton, was Carolina's bench production. They got 23 points tonight. You got 11 from Manic, six from Walton. You only got two from McCoy, two from Styles, two from Harris. But you look at the minutes played, and DeMarco Dunn got seven minutes, even though he didn't score. And then you got seven minutes from McCoy. We're going to focus on Dunn because I do feel like – he is the one of the two freshmen that you could definitely say um, we we're going to see him play in 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 the ACC more often than not. It may only be 
you know, four to five, six minutes. But I do think he has earned his way onto the court, mainly with his play on the defensive end because he is active. You can see that he's communicating. He does switch. He does rotate. But I do think it's been really important that Carolina, and it's basically been led all by Brady Manick before tonight's mini outburst from Kerwin Walton, that they got to get bench scoring because you're asking so much from your from your um, starting five to just carry the offensive load, and they're starting to get it in bits and pieces. Anthony Harris gives you offense usually in different ways. I mean, he one time scored six points without making a field goal because they made all his foul, uh, foul shots. But, uh, you know, I think if they could somehow get to 20 to 25 points from the bench, night in, night out, that'll add another dimension for this team. And, look, you're about to play 19 straight conference games. We've already seen this team come out tw- uh, twice flat against Power 5 opponents. Hopefully it's not going to be to that same degree again in ACC play, but they're going to be nights where the starters don't have their best shooting night. You're going to need the guys off the bench to come in and help you score. You want to have at least one, you know, at least two to three options. Carolina's had the one in Manic. It looks like you're getting that uh, other one right right back now in Kerwin Walton. If they could get a nice blend of mixture of whether it's Harris and Dunn or, or even McCoy some nights, it'll go a long way for this team becoming a more complete offensive unit. I mean, well, With Harris, he kind of is what he is. Like, he's a gritty defender, and he'll do some things here and there. Maybe he ends up – I mean, typically – He's going to get you two or three points a night, and his impact is going to be felt on the defensive end of the floor. That, that's the role that he's kind of in. So, yeah, it, to me, it's crucial that Kerwin Walton becomes that guy. And I think with how short the rotation is, I, I think 25 may be a little high. You'd like – I think if you could get it in between 18 to 20, I think you could live with that. And yeah, I mean, DeMarco Dunn, it, it, it's starting to show now that clearly he's the guy that they feel is ahead of, you know, of styles here. Um, they, they feel like he's the freshman that's further ahead of the two. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if there's room for them in, in what they do. Now, the thing is, is I know there are people that have said, well, we need to see these guys playing, you know, a ton. And it's like, look, that's just not going to happen. And guess what? It, it, it shouldn't happen. These are not your typical freshmen. I have said that so many times. These are not the main or the, these are not the guys that you bring in and they are one and done guys. I know that there was a bold prediction from somebody who I can't remember in the offseason that Dontre Styles was going to be one and done. That was exactly what, what it was, and a, and a bold prediction, dare I say extremely bold. These are guys that both ranked outside of the top 50, according to ESPN's top 100. And same thing with 24-7 composite. So these guys were developmental guys. They're getting the roles that they need right now. They're getting minutes at the end of games. Um, sometimes, I mean, DeMarco Dunn, we're starting to see him middle of the second half 
when games are still, the results at least, are still in doubt. So clearly he's starting to gain some confidence from the coaching staff, and that's great to see. So, yeah, I, I feel like you'd like to see a little bit more contribution from the bench. I feel I'm I'm more of if it if it happens great at this point I think the starters kind of just know though that look it's us Brady Manick and maybe Kerwin Walton that's going to bring scoring to this team we've got to get that job done now the thing that stinks is unfortunately one of your starters is Leaky Black who doesn't give you a ton of offensive production either but. He's so valuable defensively that you can't afford to get rid of him. It's a lot of pressure on some of these other guys, but the good thing is, is that the group of guys that you typically see that you typically see scoring, Armando Baycott, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, uh, Brady Manick, even Dawson Garcia at times, they seem to be able to handle that most nights. The concern is, are you going to run into another game like Kentucky? One last uh, thought before we get into a a, a a quick discussion moving into ACC play. The only negative from tonight's performance was Carolina's turnovers, and it was 15 of them. App State got 13 points off of those 15 turnovers. And, look, the number is a little high. Um, as I like to say, I want that number around 10 to 12. But I was more concerned about who committed the turnovers because Caleb Love had six of them. And it was kind of more of those – bonehead turnovers that make it frustrating to live with. Um, It was coming out of, you know, whether it was passing out of a double team, just not passing the ball uh, very, very strongly, or just not really protecting the ball when getting double teamed. There was one drive that really got Hubert Davis animated where he drove the lane, had a layup, and was too unselfish, tried to to lay it off for Armando Baycott, and the ball gets stolen away, and Hubert Davis popped right up. He slapped the scores table, took his glasses off, and he actually benched him. And that was one thing that uh, was really positive to see, kind of holding those players accountable. And this is going to be something that Carolina's got to monitor as they enter ACC play. They've they've shown the ability to take care of the ball against premier opponents. They did it against Michigan, and they were relatively not too bad against Georgia Tech. They can't turn the ball over 17, 18 times like they did last year and expect to win. They're They're much more talented than they were last year, but they're not to that level where they can just give away possessions. And with Caleb Love, it's kind of been an up-and-down performance for him with the turnovers. He had six. And then Brady Manick, your most experienced player on the court, he had four turnovers as well. And I even tweeted this out. If you don't follow me, go follow me at HTB Josh on Twitter. For him to be a fifth-year guy, he makes some boneheaded decisions that make you want to scream at him. But on the flip side of Carolina committing their turnovers, they only forced 11, but they entered the game only forcing 10, so that was one above their average. Carolina's got to get where they're forcing 10-plus turnovers a night to get them in the, in, in the open floor, to get them in transition and get some easy buckets. They did it tonight uh, with those 11 turnovers because they threw out a full-court press. The way they defended switching their ball screens at certain times and doubling out of those ball screens, their hands were more in the passing lanes. They were getting deflections and getting turnovers. So while it was negative on one end with Carolina committing turnovers, it was a positive to see them force some turnovers of themselves. And and they've been able to do it at times this season. I mean, we saw it against Michigan, and that really was what jump-started them 
uh, in that first half of that game and, and allowed them to keep themselves in that game early on when they weren't playing great defensively outside of that. So, yeah, they're capable of doing it. It's just, again, something that uh, we, we've talked a lot about really just in Tar Heel Athletics this year. Consistency is the name of the game for this team. And uh, I think they're they're getting there. You're starting to see it. I mean, again, that, that was a momentary lapse against Kentucky. But really before that, um, I mean, they, they weren't forcing a ton of turnovers, but they were strategic and they would have moments um, where they were able to force a couple of turnovers back to back or three in a row or something like that um, when they needed to. So. Uh, you're, you're seeing those moments. They're doing a better job of, of that than they've done the past two years. That was one of the big things. We didn't talk about it a whole lot because we were so focused on how many turnovers uh, the Toriels were committing. This team did not force turnovers these last couple of years. It didn't happen. And even when they did, they weren't able to capitalize on it. This year, they are much better at that um, than, they, than they have been. So it, that's encouraging. And then in terms of the turnovers tonight, I mean, I said it earlier, I'm not too concerned about it. I'm not sitting here saying, man, this looks like they're back to what they were last year, in large part because, yeah, it was two guys that really just had the bulk of the turnovers. For the most part, everybody else did a pretty solid job of taking care of the basketball. Now, it's not great that Caleb Love was one of your guys that was committing the most turnovers and that Brady Manick also struggled in that area because – yeah, he's a fifth-year senior. He's a big part of what you do. Caleb Love is also a big part of what you do. So you want to see those guys take care of the basketball better than some of the guys that you're going to see at the end of the bench. But, I mean, the thing is now is you're starting to see with DeMarco Dunn starting to show that he's capable of, of being on the floor and handling himself accordingly. And Anthony Harris – starting to get more minutes and and deal with them pretty well. Uh, it's getting to a point where, yeah, early in the season and even, you know, especially last season, if you had a game like this from Caleb Love, you couldn't bench him because you couldn't afford not to have him on the floor. Now, if he starts to turn the ball over and it's hurting you that bad, you've got enough guys where you could say, okay, well, we're going to just move RJ over to point. He's gonna run. He's gonna run the offense, and we can put in either Demarco or Anthony Harris, and we'll be fine. Um, and we can take you over to the side and tell you, hey, you gotta you gotta cut this out, or else you're not gonna play. You know, we're gonna have to sit you for a little bit here, and we're gonna have to start cutting your minutes if it becomes a consistent trend. So that's the thing that you're starting to see develop here. But for me, I'm not I'm not concerned about a long term. This isn't something we've been talking about all year that's been hit and miss where we've been saying, man, Caleb Love, you know, he comes out and one game he's turning it over four or five times. The next game he's doing a good job of holding on. This is really the first time that we've pointed to either him or Brady Manick and said, man, these guys had really bad nights turning the basketball over. So that's what's also different from a year ago because I felt like a year ago it was the same guys that you were talking about over and over again that were giving you the biggest problems. So noteworthy, but not something that I'm freaking out about. 
I want to get this discussion in before we get out of this edition of the podcast. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, this was Carolina's final non-conference game. They finished non-conference play eight and three. They enter Christmas break nine and three, the most wins before Christmas since 2017 and 18. You you labeled it a get right game after the – after what happened on Saturday, and I thought Carolina got back on the right track tonight in tonight's victory. We labeled this team with the type of team that had the ability to win an ACC regular season championship, and look, they haven't done that in two years, and that's what we call a drought in Chapel Hill, um, and, and, and you know, be a type of team that could be a one seed in the NCAA tournament, make a deep run in, in – in the NCAA tournament and potentially make a final four. Are we now reconfident in this team entering ACC play that they can compete for a conference title, given the fact that outside of Duke, because Duke's the only team that's in the AP top 25, there's not a lot of heavy hitters at the top of this conference. You've got, you got Duke, who's ranked, Carolina, who's got the second best or the third best record in the ACC uh, because Wake Forest has the second best record in the ACC. you got Virginia Tech, who's right where Carolina is record-wise. Then it's just a bunch of blah. I mean, NC State lost at home to Wright State. Way to go, Kevin Keats. Virginia and Florida State have really regressed back to the pack where they've been the last couple years. Syracuse, despite returning um, all of the Bayheim brothers and uh, – they're not having the type of season we thought they were going to have entering the season. So the ACC is looking like it could be a four, maybe five bid league in the NCAA tournament when we get to March. And so that gives Carolina more of a leeway to maybe, you know, because you said entering the year that you didn't think a team was going to go 15 and five, 16 and four and win the league. But given how down the league is, I think that's a possibility. Does Carolina, are you more confident that Carolina factors into that ACC title race now that we are on the precipice of conference play? I mean, like you said, yeah, because there really isn't that many great teams in the ACC. Um, Yeah, four or five is probably where you're at right now. And that's being generous. I think that right now this is – this conference is – really struggling. I mean, the amount of losses that this that that the that this conference has already to non-power conference opponents is stunning. Um now I mean, you feel like there are going to be some teams that will probably emerge, but one of the ones that I think has a chance to do that, Carolina's already beaten. Um in Georgia Tech. So I mean, yeah, you, you got to look at it and say Okay, somebody's going to eventually have to pop up as a threat. Um, Even if they're not a legitimate threat in the standings, there will be somebody that will be close enough to Duke for the most part. I think, and I hate to say it, the other night showed that Duke is very clearly the best team in this conference. Yeah. That wasn't much of a debate entering the year, though. No, no, not entering the year. I feel like with the way that Carolina was playing and if they had been able to beat originally UCLA or then Kentucky, people would have started talking and it probably would have been a legitimate debate, especially if they would have you know, beaten Kentucky by 10 or more points. But that's not what happened. At the same time, though, if it's not Carolina – 
who is the other team in the ACC that you're really looking at and saying, this is the second best team in the conference? I mean, maybe Virginia Tech, but even then, they've got some losses that are just head-scratching on their resume. Um, I feel like, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to believe that Virginia won't somehow get it together. But I've been saying that for a good portion of the year, and they're still struggling. Yeah. And, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, Syracuse, the problem with them is, are they going to get to a point where they're just not going to you – know, they're, they're going to lose too many games early on where they're going to put themselves right back on that bubble conversation more than in the conversation to compete for the ACC. Once you get past those teams – I mean, look, I like, I mean, Steve Forbes is one of the more interesting coaches in all of college sports. What a character that guy is. And they're a great story. I don't call me skeptical. I don't think that team is really going to be that. I don't think they're going to stay atop the ACC where they're at right now with them and Duke, but they're out of conference records. I think that team will come back to earth a little bit. So, yeah, once you get through those types of teams as well, um, which there aren't many of those that are really overachieving at a conference this year, uh, that, that leaves Carolina. And the other thing is, is that, remember, no matter what Carolina had, you know, the struggles that Carolina has had coming in, and the last two years we've seen it especially, no matter what Carolina has going on coming into that game, or Duke for that sake, this is those matchups are always going to be competitive, and especially this year because when they go back to the Smith Center, that'll be the first time that fans will be allowed in that game in two yeah. years. You would hope. You would hope. We don't know. Unfortunately, we don't know where the direction is going with with COVID nineteen right now. But you'd hope. And then, I mean, look. Some people would say, "Well, it's going to be Coach K's final game and." And Cameron, is that not a place where Carolina could potentially get destroyed? No. That game's going to be filled with so many emotions. That's probably going to be one of the greatest games in the rivalry's history. So if there's a team that can not only be around in the standings but compete with them just because you base it off of the rivalry, yeah, I mean, it lines up for Carolina to be that team that's right there. The problem is, is that you just worry about you know, outside of Michigan, what is this team's best win? That's what I've heard a lot of people saying. And to be honest with you, it is a rather fair, fair, fair concern. But I feel like from watching this team, if they're playing at their best, which I don't think we're going to see, I would be stunned if we see another Kentucky this year. I don't think that's going to happen. But even a game like Brown or – College of Charleston, I don't think – I mean, if you see games like that, I still feel like you're going to see more games like what we've seen from the majority of, comp, of non-conference play than what you saw in those momentary lapses. So I feel confident that Carolina can still do some damage in the ACC. Do I feel like they're going to win the ACC going in? No. I don't think so, but do I think that they are probably the favorite to finish second in the ACC right now? Yes. 
Well, that is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, I do want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Had you covered leading up to the App State game? Have you covered post-App State game? There is a recap up and ready for you guys to read over on the website as I continue to take you through the 2021-22 basketball season. As for the football side of things, go back, catch up on all the signing day covers that Anthony has for you. Read about the class. Carolina's added um, a transfer offensive lineman from Miami. Miami. Find out who that is, what he brings to Carolina. Also, there's another article up about other transfer needs that Carolina could address through the portal. And speaking of the portal, Tyron Hopper entered the portal for Carolina. Anthony has an article up about that as well. And very soon we'll be getting you ready for the Duke's Mayo Bowl as Carolina plays South Carolina next Thursday, 1130 a.m. in Charlotte. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us. We are on the Basketball Podcast Network. We host through Megaphone. We're on every major podcasting platform. So you can go to iTunes, Art Radio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. You name it, the Four Corners Podcast is there. Give it a like and give it a review. But most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss an episode. Do want to give you guys a heads up. With the holiday coming up and Carolina off for the next eight days, we're going to take a break as, as well. We'll be back sometime next week to get you ready for the Virginia Tech game as we move strictly into ACC play. So do not be alarmed if you don't hear from us over the next week or so. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, to find the best basketball podcast.